And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. We've certainly talked about the Star Trek ethos before on this show. And, um, you know, there's actually like a few little monos. We've talked about a few, like where no man has gone before. Um, and we've also talked about um, infinite diversity and infinite combination is also one that we've talked about. And longtime Star Trek fans will know that one of them, one of the uh, classic ones is logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. <laughs> uh, yes, classic, logical, you know, trolley problem stuff. Um, so this leads to my question for today, though. Um, do the needs of the one ever outweigh the needs of the many? Depends on the few. It depends on the few or the, or the one <laughs> context. <laughs> there you go, folks. Context. But who decides? <laughs> depends on who's on those trolley tracks. And <laughs> what if the many decide that that one is more important than, than what? Yeah, certainly the context, I guess, though. I, I guess probably in most situations, the needs of the many would probably still outweigh the needs of the few, but you do have to find some sort of balance. I would imagine. Why not just Kirk it and cut the power to the train and then everybody lives? <laughs> cheat. Problem solved. Yeah, think outside the box. I won't did, call it cheat. did anyone consider pulling the brake? <laughs> Perhaps not pulling the lever at all. <laughs> you know, we have cars now. <laughs> no need to use a train. We don't even need to use the trolley. There you go. Don't even use the trolley. Um, yeah, certainly the context, though I guess it's always interesting to see in which context would the needs of the few or the one. Um, be more important than the needs of the many. Um, a question I'm sure we will get into on this week's episode of Star Trek Stories. Thank you. Thank you. The dozens of you. <laughs> the dozens of you listening. Um, yes, this is episode 45, I, Borg. Um, I, of course, am your singular host, Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined here by my multitudinous host Aaron Cole I contain multitudes <laughs> yes uh, uh, between Jaren's singularity and Aaron's multitudes <laughs> bounce those needs um, we are starting to wind down our look at the TNG glory years uh, last time we watched the first duty uh, where our good friend Ellen came on to help us chastise Wesley Crusher for being a naughty boy. A naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> and getting one of his friends killed. <laughs> naughty boy. Yeah. Bad. Bad, Wesley. Bad. Oh, did I stay in my Starfleet career forever? Yes. Yes, yeah. you did, Wesley. Um, <laughs> um, this week, we have another returning uh, guest on with us. Um, sitting next to me, once again, we have the very lovely Jenny Beale on the show. <laughs> Did you, did you do your own cheering over there? Yes. <laughs> the Coliseum. Are you not entertained? <laughs> How are you today, baby? I'm good, but I want to know if you are singular and if Aaron contains multitudes, where does that leave me? Yeah, what's, what's um, Jenny's thing? Jenny is um, such a complex and nuanced person. <laughs> Three frogs in a trench coat? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I thought I heard a ribbit. I yeah. swear to God. I'm not. Um, yeah, welcome back to the show, um, my lovely baby. Thank you. I always love having you on. Um, for those who uh, are new to the podcast, don't know, uh, may have guessed, Jenny is uh, my best friend and romantic partner. Um, and we get into all sorts of shenanigans with each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, last time you were on, we watched the Batman for nerd movies where you were our voice of, um, sanity and reason as to why that movie might not be all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Always the critic. Did not like it. Did not like it. No. Uh, but we are, of course, talking about Star Trek today. Um, and when we first met, you had never seen Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I introduced you to it. Um, when we first started dating, um, I, I had like a 50 episode list 
basically like the must-see Star Trek episodes from across the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it in conjunction with like the 50th anniversary, and that's basically what we watched, just a giant sampling of like everything. Um, and then he untied you from the radiator, and you were allowed to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you are now, I would, and correct me if I'm wrong, you are now like a casual Star Trek fan. Yes. Um, but you're not really a sci-fi fan. It's not like, not not a sci-fi fan, but it's not really your jam, generally speaking, I would say, yes? I don't really seek it out. Yeah. What do you seek? What do you seek? What is your quest? Like, <laughs> media-wise, do you like historical fiction? Do you like... I like documentaries. Nice. Yeah, I would say mostly documentaries. I like animated, like, cartoons. Do you have HBO? You guys have HBO? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a new one called Scavenger's Reign. Mm-hmm. Scavenger's Reign. I binged it in maybe like three days. It was wild. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I'm still kind of figuring out what it was all about. But. I really like dramas and mysteries, and so I do think I like those aspects of Star Trek. The drama and mystery of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, like, you know, you coming on, because um, you had, we had even tried Doctor Who. And I was like, because I also am a big Doctor Who fan. I could probably also start a, a companion podcast called Doctor Who Stories. <laughs> Just tackle that one. Um, Talk about a podcast for decades to come. <laughs> right. Content. Content. Um, yeah, because I love Doctor Who. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll like it. Just because like, I know you like spooky stuff. And there is like spooky stuff in Doctor Who. Though it's also very silly. But that never really... We gave it a good few seasons. But that never really took for you. No, it didn't stick. I don't think it had the same emotional, like, it just wasn't as intellectually stimulating as Star Trek can be. Mm. I would say Doctor Who definitely, if there is a spectrum of more thinky and more feely, Doctor Who is more on a feely than a thinky scale. Though I think, you know, they'll both. But I remember there were some episodes you're like, yeah, I like that one. But for the most part, you're like, it's just, it's so <laughs> I just fucking hate the Daleks. Oh, that's right. Oh, There's yeah. the Daleks that killed it. We are back again. Oh, that's your nemesis. God. <laughs> I didn't like any of the. Cybermen didn't do it for you? No. no. Oh, God. No, it took you told a lot of the big enemies are like, the goofiest the, ones. Yeah, the Doctor Who enemies were so obnoxious to me. So, yeah, Doctor Who didn't take, but you do like Star Trek. I'm curious, and you've already mentioned like drama and mystery. What is it about Star Trek? I don't know. What does Star Trek have that, say, maybe some like other sci-fi out there doesn't really have for you? A plethora of thought experiments. A plethora of thought experiments. Um, just like the think you think, what would you do in this kind of situation? Philosophical drama episodes. And Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, shout out to Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard. Cash just bought his book. Uh, is it called Make It So? I think. Oh. Make It So. There's a, like a whole section in the middle that's just pictures from throughout his theater days and stuff. Mm. It's awesome. He was a, I mean, he was he's a handsome devil in Star Trek, but in some of his younger Shakespeare days, very handsome devil. Chiseled features. Mm-hmm. Like, just chop. He's got that classic British leading man look and voice. Um, yeah, Jean-Luc Picard. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. So is so Next Generation, would you call that your favorite of all the Star Treks that you've seen? Because you've seen a whole bunch. Yeah, I've seen the most of it, though. I've liked all of... Mm, I was about to say I've liked all of the seasons I've seen. I think that's, I think that's true. I think I've liked pretty much all of most the... Most of it. Classic Star Trek. Oh, the 60s stuff, too. Or just all, all I don't them. know what I'm saying. All the ones before they started coming out with hundreds of new ones every five seconds. <laughs> we'll get the folks. Modern Star Trek. Um, yeah, Patrick Stewart and Think You Think Thought Experiment episodes. Um, very appropriate for this episode. Um, what do you think? Speaking to our question. Um, uh do the needs of the one ever outweigh the needs of the many? It depends on what the needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to say it, but yeah, I feel like the 
what the needs are really matters because sometimes one person's needs are vastly more important or inflexible than the group. Right. And I feel like that's why you have things like, um, what are they called? It's like these like representation minimums in certain areas of politics. Sure. Um, where the whole reason you have them is because the needs of the few are important and are overlooked and the needs of the many do not really actually outweigh the need of the few in that situation because the need of the many is not to maintain the status quo. Like that's not that important. I I don't know. Right. If there's like, you know, one person (laughs) dying on the street, and everyone else just doesn't want to be inconvenienced. Right. And I nine think other people are going to be late for more. work. <laughs> yeah, that's what But I'm there's nine about. of us. <laughs> so if we all walk by, did it even happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, back to context. Yeah, back to context. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, probably the biggest thing, I mean, because you, you brought up, you know, certainly represent, representation of politics. That's an obvious kind of thing for me is like... Um, Yes, certainly, because, you know, if there was no looking out for the minority or the one, you know, it's like then you can really quickly have a tyranny of the, you know, majority, you know, real quick. So it's important that everyone's needs are met um, in the most equitable way possible. So sometimes those those ratios can change. (laughs) But I would say, generally speaking, if the needs of the many are equal to the need of the few, then. Yes, I don't think there's any way logically. Yeah, all things being out of equal. that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, well, let's see if this episode gives us any more to think about, at least in terms of if the needs of the one ever outweigh the needs of the many. Um, yes, today we are watching I Borg. Um, this premiered May eleventh, nineteen ninety two. This is the 23rd episode produced for the fifth season, um, which also makes it our last episode um, from this season for our 100 episode list. Um, And as the title suggests, this episode features the return of the Borg. Um, First time, the first time they've come back since our big um, Borg two-parter, best of both worlds, where Count Picard gets assimilated by the Borg and forced to lead an attack against earth and the federation and all that good stuff um and at the end of that he does get rescued um but in the following episode family we definitely see like the depth of the trauma that that experience causes him and kind of left with this like yeah this is going to be with you for a long time john luke like his brother tells him and it does pop up every now and again you know of course in the rest of the star trek uh, ne- the next generation and beyond um and that's one thing we're going to be looking at that. It does make a comeback in this episode. Um, so that'll definitely be one thing we're looking at in this one. Um, how this how the show revisits his trauma, how it looks in tra- at trauma in general. Um, and then speaking to the Borg. Um, yeah, the Borg, we've talked about, they're basically the big bad of the show and probably the franchise at large if you had to pick one. Um, and... You know, the writers had always wanted to bring them back, but they weren't sure how to revisit them without kind of watering down the threat they posed because they built them up to be like this impossible to beat adversary. And then, like in the last episode, they just managed to beat them. But it was like, if we just bring them back and just have them beat him again, then are they really all that scary anymore? So they were always trying to figure out how can we bring them back and make that make it interesting and not water down the threat they pose. And so that'll be the other kind of thing we look at in this one, how successful they are in bringing back the Borg um, in this episode. Um, all right. For those of you at home who are going to watch along with us, Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 5, Episode 23, and we will be back after we watch I, Borg.
Locutus. Yes. I am Locutus of Borg. Why are you here? This is a primitive culture. I am here to facilitate its incorporation. Identify yourself. Hugh. Identify yourself. We are Hugh. This is not a Borg identification. Third of five. This culture will be assimilated. They do not wish it. Irrelevant. They will resist us. Resistance is futile. Resistance is not futile. Some have escaped. They will be found. It is inevitable. All will be assimilated. Must Jordy be assimilated? Yes. He does not wish it. He would rather die than be assimilated. Then he will die. No. Jordy must not die. Jordy is a friend. You will assist us to assimilate this vessel. You are Borg. You will assist us. I will not. I will not assist you. I. Jordy must not be assimilated. But you are Borg. No. I am Hugh. just got done watching i borg um in case you didn't want this one with us or haven't seen it before uh in this one the crew of the enterprise they find a crashed borg scout ship with a sole survivor a borg teenager um uh who they bring aboard and kind of nurse back to health um Picard realizes this is a potential chance to like use the Borg drone to basically infect the Borg with something to destroy them. Um, so while they're kind of working with the Borg, trying to figure out a way to do that, like particularly uh, Dr. Crusher and uh, Jordy, they're spending a lot more time with the Borg and he is starting to kind of awaken his sense of individuality and, um, they start having second thoughts about it. And um, meanwhile, Picard and Guinan are like, no, this is a Borg. Like we have to destroy it. But even Guinan comes over once she talks to the Borg and eventually the Borg gets a name, Hugh. And uh, eventually Picard talks to the Borg and realizes, wow, yeah, it's an individual. We can't just use it to kill his the Borg. So in the end, um, they return Hugh back to the collective Um consensually he's the one who says like you have to send me back otherwise they're going to come after you even though he doesn't want to because he's regained his sense of individuality and the episode ends with him going back to the Borg collective um wacky wild stuff um we always start with initial thoughts um jenny initial thoughts coming on off of i borg i thought it was great i almost cried like three times yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very thought-provoking and, and emotional. Mm. Very interesting. I was anxious most of the time, wondering how they were going to resolve the issue and whether they should. And mm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what parts almost brought you to tears. Do you remember? I think the part where 
I think Beverly was saying that he was lonely. Mm. And then again, when he reflected that back to Guinan and told Guinan that she was lonely. Mm-hmm. You are lonely. And then also the part at the near the end when Picard was talking to Hugh and Hugh was sharing all his realizations about, you know, resistance not being futile and, you know, but they don't want to be assimilated. That mm-hmm. all made me very emotional too. Cannot, we can't also forget the, um, aren't you lonely? Yeah, sometimes. That's why we have friends, you know, to keep us company. Like Hugh and Jordy. Oh, that one too. <laughs> yeah. and I would choose to stay with Jordy. And then he realizes he can't. Can't. You always feel like in that scene, because Jordy's there when the Borg returns to, when Hugh returns to the ship, and there's that one second where Hugh kind of looks at him, almost like he's going to say something. Little Inception moment. Yeah, oh, and, and Jordy's like, uh, almost like he's like, I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Aaron, initial thoughts coming off of iBorg. It's always funny how quickly some Starfleet officers put aside the ideals and the mission statement to other races very quickly mm. especially when they're the adversary or the enemy mm. yeah at the beginning and like i mean the only one who is really in the borg and hughes uh corner at the beginning is beverly at the everyone's like even troy's like well, they, they declared war on us like right they're all pretty gung-ho about uh, they're all on board and only beverly at the beginning is kind of like even data doesn't really Raise a stink about it. Only Beverly does. And by the end, everyone's like, okay. That so, doesn't seem very true to Star Trek to me. It feels more like a plot device than something that I think would actually be reflected in other episodes. Yeah. Yeah, just that doesn't feel like Picard. I mean, I think part of the point is that, you know, Picard's traumatized by the Borg. But the fact that Beverly was the only person to be like, hey, maybe we should think about this. This seems pretty serious. Like, that just feels like. That is not what these characters would actually do. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because um, up till now, the Borg have only been portrayed as almost like a force of nature. There's just this collective hive mind that is just, no matter what, they're going to keep coming for you and they're just going to assimilate you. It's like, and there's like no reasoning with them. There's, there's, you can't do anything with them. And so, and they were like this close to destroying Earth and the Federation. They barely got out of that situation. Um, yeah. There have been so many other hard situations they've been put in, though, to make terrible decisions. Mm. And there is a lot of reflection around it, though. And also, I was like, Picard didn't even like shoot a message to his supervisor. <laughs> and be Admiral. like, hey, what do you think about me, you know, destroying the all the Borg yeah. on this little, you know, rogue mission I just made up? No. No consultation. Yeah, he's flying completely blind. He did, as far as we see, he doesn't even try to contact Starfleet about, I'll just build a weapon of mass destruction and kill the Borg and be done with it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do think it's a great story, but that element I do feel like feels a little incongruent with like you're talking about all these other the principles the ethics of star trek that they're normally pretty good at upholding yeah certainly this crew yeah we didn't didn't even consult chain of command on this one no not yeah i don't think there's one scene where they even let let starfleet know we found the borg nah just kill him um i mean it is a kind of shocking scene because I don't think we've ever seen a scene like that in all our watching it where they're just like all pretty much essentially on the same page with genocide, except mm-hmm. for Beverly. Um, and uh, had they found the Borg completely dead instead of dying, do you think that would have changed? Do you think Beverly's opinion would have changed? You know, like that it just flipped her brain into doctor mode. Like I have to save this thing. Like if they somehow could send like a Borg corpse back with like the same invasive program, like, would that have, would she care as much then? Um, it, do, it does get in, into some, um, I mean, interesting questions. I mean, I guess we should start really with basically Hugh. It's, it's, 
he was the central focus of this episode. This is the first time the show has ever tried to humanize the Borg in any way. They, like I said, they've basically just been in the in their first couple appearances. They've just been as, oh my god, like doomsday is coming, and they're all you know for for you. Um, they've only yeah they've been basically just like a soulless hive mind up to this point. Um, do we think this episode? is this successful at kind of humanizing them to some degree? Um, does human, and if so, does humanizing kind of defang them a little bit? Does it add some nuance? I don't know. What do you guys think? Adds a little nuance. It, uh, it actually makes them a little more terrifying. Mm. The fact that, uh, the personality is still in that, that husk somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just dormant. They haven't really explored that before. I mean, like, kind of with Picard, but but even when they assimilated Picard, it was still almost contextualized. It's like they assimilated him for some special reason. Because Picard is like a quasi-individual when he's assimilated because they need him to be a spokesperson. Mm -hmm. um, and then they just, you know, de you know, unsimilate him. But all the other Borg have just been just mindless drones. Yeah. And so Hugh's the first time it's like, oh they're all people under there. Um, they have not, they have not explored that at all yet. And it is kind of terrifying. Um, it's almost like, yeah, they rather than just kind of just being like complete automatons, it's almost like there's some living hell going on where they're all, or maybe a living heaven. The way that Hugh describes it, it doesn't sound like he's being tortured at all. Mm -hmm. He misses it. He's, he's, he's yearning for it. Doesn't understand why anybody else wouldn't want that, right? Right. I mean, loneliness. I mean, that comes up a, a few times in this, and how, yeah, how lonely he is because he doesn't hear the voices of the others. And I think most humans would agree that one of the worst human experiences is loneliness. I, mean, I think most people would agree that that is the case. I mean, so living in a world where basically it's like you are never lonely ever um i guess would have some with some upsides um oh what do, you, what do you think jenny yeah i agree with aaron um i think it did a great job of humanizing the borg and it really changes the game on on how i perceive the borg i think it does beg this question of you know from what perspective is the borg this horrible destructive force of nature because it sounds like yeah it could be on one level, it is really scary that, you know, people's individuality is taken away. And if that's not something they want, it's really terrible, like it was for Picard. But then for this other person who was fully assimilated, yeah, it seemed like it was in some ways comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, non-consensual. So that aspect of it is pretty dark. But um, yeah, I mean, it really makes you wonder, yeah, where are the ethical lines of wiping out a species that is filled with millions of people that are in potentially enjoying their existence um mm -hmm. versus yeah these just mindless drones or drones right um but you know at the end if he had his way he says he wouldn't go back he doesn't want to go back he only goes back because he wants to protect them all so even though he's suffering from loneliness, once he regains his individuality, he doesn't want to go back. Um, uh, so, I mean, on so, so on some level, there is something about it. Maybe, you know, like you don't, you, you never suffer loneliness, but apparently he gets to some point where it's like, but you don't, I don't want to go back to that. Um, which also kind of muddies the water a bit because that does that also imply that like there are basically billions of Borg drones who given the opportunity. Oh, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I don't know that this was intended, but when I was watching the scene between Picard and Hugh and him realizing that Hugh is an individual, if in some ways that almost changes the war with the Borg from, you know, we need to stop the Borg and, eliminate the Borg to actually now there are these millions of people that we need to save mm. and it's no longer, you know, universe versus hive mind, but universe on like a rescue mission for all these people that still have the potential yeah. 
to be somewhat restored to their previous selves or at least, you know, individuals at all. Mm. Yeah. This episode definitely kind of muddies the water uh, because in the first couple appearances, they're basically portrayed as like, oh my God, like we are all going to die or, you know, and they're terrifying. And like I said, like there's this kind of force of nature thing, but this one now, and it's easier to deal with on some, I don't know, if you're trying to ethically or morally justify something, if you're dealing with a force of nature, it's a lot easier to justify any decision. It's like, it's just a thing. But now that there is this clear understanding, it's like every underneath all of that is people, victims, essentially. I do agree. I think it's uh, Picard dealing with some residual trauma too. He tries all kinds of tactics to avoid seeing the Borg face to face. Yeah. Or one-on-one. Uh, I guess exploring that element, um, how do we think this episode does in exploring um, trauma in general, but certainly like Picard and Guinan's trauma? Because that's, I don't know if that's like what the episode is about, but it's certainly like another big theme they're exploring in this one. I think it's a pretty accurate portrayal of facing a demon, coming to terms with something. That you realize most of the time you realize it's like some underlying feeling you were still holding on to inside that's rather easy to let go of once you find it but it, it takes facing that thing that you were so afraid of in the first place right i think they do a good job there particularly with uh jean-luc a little bit with jordy um and overall like you don't really see much change with like the smaller characters with Worf, but there is like a, a general change in sentiment in the episode. I thought that it was a good portrayal of how, you know, our own biases or our own trauma can impact our judgment and make it hard for us to see things clearly. I did think though that it feels hugely optimistic if this is supposed to be, you know, a model for how, recovery from trauma and being able to think objectively happens in my experience i i think that if this were to have been a real situation there's almost no way that Guinan and picard would have been able to to make that leap from fear to acceptance that quickly um i think that I mean, this sets it up kind of perfectly in the sense that the Borg is so different than expected, right. um, so much more emotional. But I do think, like, in my experience of trauma and, like, working with people that have trauma, it's an it can be an incredibly long and, like, arduous process mm-hmm. to see objective reality when your judgment is clouded by trauma. Mm-hmm. Do you think... Um because oh, I think I'd also agree, like, if this was, like, in a more modern, realistic setting, like, I, I, I could see part of, like, this episode being a tragedy in the sense that those two, you know, characters facing trauma never change their mind. And, you know, they're, they can't, but they're, you know, come to terms with it. Because, um, you know, they're both kind of coming at it as if they're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just trying to rationally explain to you what the case is when clearly there's like some emotional rationalization going on. But I'm curious, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, so this takes place in like Star Trek times when there's like this kind of culture of everyone supports each other. There's no poverty. There's no hate. You know, everyone is kind of there for each other. Society more or less is there for you. You have all the mental health resources you could possibly want. Do you think in a society like that, where there is just such a like a inbred cultural value to kind of be better, that people that that would be enough to sur- surmount that for someone? Just be like, okay, well, I have to be better, so I'm going to be better. Maybe for some, I I would see it like creating just a even bigger counterculture, or like it makes me wonder how much of the Starfleet ideal is just like a facade, mm-hmm. and how much. Are we still just 
the people we were in the 20th century, but in the 23rd century. Mm. Right. I mean, right. I mean, they're this close to genocide in this episode. Um, pretty hardcore, <laughs> shocking thing for the Federation to even consider, let alone Picard and crew. It's something that the Federation tends to consider, you know, once every few seasons. That's a, that's problematic. Should we kill this entire species? No, thank God. The answer was no again. I was going to say that in regards to your question of, you know, would this like evolved society with all this mental health care and like all your resources and whatever, like would that make things like trauma much easier to get past because of this idea of a culture of, you know, improvement, self-improvement? Um, and while I definitely think that that would be helpful... And I do think a culture of, you know, openness and like psychological flexibility or, you know, change and um, forgiveness or things like that. I think those things would certainly help. Um, I think the reality is that things like trauma are an experience that are not are not logical and are not necessarily social constructs. I think trauma is something that like lives in the body yeah. and that even the most evolved society, I don't think can get, you know, can bypass that reality of the animal experience. Um, although certainly I think it could be like pushed Helpful. ahead. Yeah. It could make it worse in a lot of ways too. Like all these rigid ideals. And oh, having like to toxic the positivity and, or yeah. having to face that and like, live in all yeah, all this positivity all the time. We're such an evolved species and you're like, well, if that's true, then why do I feel this way? And why did this happen to me? Mm. That would make that so much more, that would compound that, right? Yeah, very, yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah, I could, you know, if this were, even though I have lots of feelings about modern Star Trek, but a lot of these modern Star Trek shows, they will explore a concept over like 10 episodes and then they can kind of let things, because one of the things with this show is like, they have to do all this in essentially an episode. So I feel like to some degree, there is some creative liberty kind of going on here. I could see in a more realistic sense, if like, say this was like a plot line that were happening over the course of like 10, like a 10 episode season. And you saw, say like characters like Picard or guy, like they were spending a whole season and one of the background things, it's like they were continually working with Hugh to eventually send them back and infect them. And um, I could see in a more realistic sense showing Picard and Guinan over the course of a much longer time coming to terms with like, maybe I should not do this and maybe I'm not thinking objectively, but Hitting this all, all happens really quick. Yeah. <laughs> there are many hurdles. I mean, I, you can give it the benefit of the doubt because you know they have to wrap all this up and they got 45 minutes to tell this story. Yeah. Um, even like in a movie, it'd have more room to breathe. Then say just you got forty five minutes. They just have just enough time to post some questions. There it is, and maybe leave you with a little bit of bias, and then yeah, you know, on your way. Um, you know, getting to our kind of like the question we asked earlier, and kind of tying in with this episode. Um, because they in the in the end they kind of come to the, you know, the conclusion that this is the wrong thing to do. Um, and they kind of portray it as if, you know, like Picard, you know, was not, was emotionally compromised and wasn't thinking clearly. Is there any validity to the idea of actually using Hugh to destroy the Borg that way though, how they intended? Yes, I think the idea is valid to pretty much everyone until they realize that Hugh and thus everyone in the Borg actually does have feelings and an experience of their own. Do you think, because sometimes when I'm watching this episode, I'm not exactly clear what case they're making. And if I'm, if I'm honest, there is always some part of me that's like, is this actually the right thing to do in the sense of like, but we know the Borg are going to keep, if you keep, essentially assimilating and, and destroying and billions of people have suffered throughout the galaxy because of the Borg. And yes, basically I do think you have to own up to the fact that you are essentially committing genocide, especially now that you know the Borg are people, but it's like, is there a case to be made here 
that the stakes are so high for like say the entire galaxy that wiping out the Borg would be the right thing to do. Well, how do you define the right thing to do? By what perspective? Is there a universal right and wrong? Um, if if we're looking at right and wrong as, I don't know, like the well-being of the most number of people, I mean, you can get into really sticky problems real quick, but if we're just thinking, speaking really, and going into like the idea of like, say the tr- say the the trillions, the countless trillions of life in the galaxy versus the billions of life of the Borg, you know, is there a greater good that needs to be considered here, even beyond? Because part of my part of my question is like, do they come to this decision because they're worried about Hugh, and is is Hugh's individual autonomy worth this, or is it, or is it the fact that all the Borg are people? I'm not. I I've never been entirely clear what they're trying to say with the episode and why they come to this decision. Is it Hugh as an individual or the Borg as people? I think probably it's, just Hugh. Sorry, I think it's, yeah, just Hugh as the individual because they literally never mention the rest it being anything else. And in that case, I think that that's kind of a weak argument if it's literally just, oh, well, we're willing to sacrifice the rest of the universe for, you know, for Hugh. But I, I, I don't really think that that's what they're saying or doing um yeah because like also because that's that's what it seems to me is like they're mostly concerned for hugh as a person and there's some there is some part of me it's like is that because they send him back regardless you know and it's like was this worth it when they had a chance to maybe once and for all end the borg because picard has this there's an interesting i don't know maybe it's a flip side rationalization he has that little speech at the end where he's like, and perhaps his sense of individuality will infect the Borg, and perhaps that's the most pernicious program at all. And I think you, Jenny, were like, <laughs> like that is an that is an extremely optimistic, <laughs> hopeful outcome. Because, like you you yourself said, it's like, don't the Borg assimilate assimilate individuals? all the time and they all we and this episode establishes they all do have a sense of individuality beneath it all but then hugh did say at the end the borg does not assimilate individuals the borg assimilates societies so i don't or civilizations so i don't know if somehow there's a meaningful distinction between a mass assimilation versus an individual assimilation but it definitely does seem just kind of like a justification of you know what they're doing yeah it does seem kind of computery to they have their objective that the drones are sent down to do and if there is something else if it's not like part of the main objective which is assimilate civilizations right then they're not going to worry about it it's just not part of the routine so maybe maybe Maybe. there's something to stand on there yeah a little bike kickstand it works out science works out (laughs) It gets into this kind of like murky territory also of like um, this is not entirely an accurate ans- like definition of these terms, but morality tends to concern itself more with like individual, um, um, I don't know, right and wrong and ethics, a system of ethics seems tends to be more of like a societal or a group sense of like good and evil kind of a thing. And so this episode, like, and that's a very, that's, that's not exactly a hundred percent. Um, so this kind of episode gets into this tricky territory of like, is the moral thing, the ethical thing to do or vice versa? Cause like the moral, I think everyone would agree. The moral thing to do is to not use Hugh in that way and to respect his individual autonomy. But it's also like, is that the overall big picture ethical thing to do here? Um, it kind of gets in that really blurry territory between the two. It's like, what is the right thing to do? I think you're also asking a question between what is the difference between ethics and logic? Because mm-hmm. ethics are usually based on a, some kind of code of ethical principles, which is not necessarily aligned with logic or consequences. Mm-hmm. 
I think this question that we're always asking ourselves between right and wrong or good and evil Good and eagle. Good and eagle. <laughs> between, <laughs> between right and wrong or good and evil is such a false dichotomy because the reality is, I mean, at least I believe there's no such thing as right and wrong as much as there are consequences to all our actions and you have to weigh yeah. which consequences are worth it to you. Mm-hmm. But looking for the black and white answer of one is good and one is bad is, is almost always fool's errand. Yeah. Do you think this episode ends up on a black and white perspective on this? Or do you think it kind of does still have like a kind of, I, I hope this was the right thing to do. Oh, I think it seems very gray area to me. Yeah. Very much hoping that maybe they'll have another chance to fight this battle against the Borg, but that it's not going to be this time in this way because this way feels like the consequences are not tolerable. Consequence being betraying or losing Hugh. Yeah. We could convince Hugh to do it for us. (laughs) How hard would it have been to be like, Hugh, you know how you love being an individual and how we don't want to be assimilated? Let's talk about that. Do you think maybe we should stop this thing? A huge Hugh. part of being an individual is being cool. And if you want to be super cool, <laughs> you wipe out the Borg. <laughs> We're all going to wipe out the Borg over here. Everyone's doing it, Hugh. You as an individual do what you want to do. <laughs> you mean you won't wipe out the Borg? Weak. Okay. Well, we're all going to go to 10 forward. <laughs> speak real quick about um jonathan del arco who plays hugh who i think is the highlight of it like it's a really good episode i think it's really well written too he's great at acting with almost a completely straight face the whole time he does a really good job uh i feel like this would have been an easy role to fuck up um i think he nails it very subtle um it's all in his eye in mm-hmm. his human eye Right. He's, he's got a lot. He's acting like has to, he's covered up with all these prosthetics. He's got half his face to work with, but by the end, it's like, you would be a monster if you weren't, Oh, you, right. <laughs> he just, he gets you just so wrapped up in like his plight. And how could you not empathize and be sympathetic toward him? Um, and his creepy yellowy eyes. Has the holographic eye. It's so cool. I love it. Um, yeah, really good makeup. He does a great job. Kudos to Jonathan Del Arco. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on Iborn, Jenny? They made Hugh's abs out of control. <laughs> Hugh's abs need to calm down. <laughs> His Borg abs. A lot of them have it. Just like the six. Like, is that necessary? But not all of them. Aaron, any final thoughts on? I Borg eat protein for recovery. There you go. Only chest day and core. <laughs> I was trying to think of a pun and I don't even know if this is a pun, but it's really bad. Okay. I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say it. It's too stupid. Do it. I'm not going to be able to say you can it. Do it's it. too I, stupid. I, I have faith. <laughs> you got this. I won't look at you. I can't. I'll, I'll try. Borg-existence <laughs> is hutile. <laughs> or maybe Borg-existence is not hutile. <laughs> what did you say? Borg-existence is not hutile. <laughs> Jerry, great script. We have a few notes. <laughs> Okay. Borg existence needs a hyphen here. Coming back for the next one. <laughs> Other than that, ten out of ten. Um, yeah, I think this is a great episode. I always like watching this one. Um, I, I, I always like. Yeah, I always like. Um, I think Star Trek's at its best when it's kind of doing these like, even the Borg, and this is so Star Trek. They create this like implacable force of nature pure evil force and star trek still goes out of its way to show to humanize them um yeah it's so star trekky just like even like 
an enemy you think deserves no humanization, they make sure to also humanize. Very Star Trekky. Um, and this is one of those episodes that you will probably see in a lot of people's top ten. But maybe not everyone, but a lot of people would put this on their top ten kind of episode. The cast, the crew, they all really thought this one turned out really well. There are some fans who don't like this one just because they think it again it does defang the Borg, and they they don't that they were scarier when they were just this kind of force of nature kind of a thing. I'm like those people have no brains, <laughs> <laughs> plebs. Um, you know, I yeah, I sure, but it's always more interesting to add depth than it is just to be some big scary monster. Agreed. Um, Especially with villains. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, my baby. Welcome. Taking a look at a good hard episode of Star Trek with us. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Jenny, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Mm. Borg existence is not futile. <laughs> um, Aaron, as always, thank you. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> Love you. Pleasure as always. Um, and thank you, everyone at home, for listening. We hope you enjoyed our coverage of iBorg. And if not, we do have a complaints department. You can send your complaints to at storiedstartrek at gmail.com. That's storiedstartrek at gmail.com. <laughs> All your complaints. <laughs> um, next week, we're going to be jumping in, into some TNG season six. Um, getting into the later seasons now. Um, yeah, we're going to be jumping into TNG season six with True Q. Oh, God. True Q titles. <laughs> the Q titles. Oh, they're so bad. Um, yes, as you may have guessed by the title, this means that everyone's favorite nemesis Q uh, will be making a return. Um, and we'll get to be um, seeing how the show continues exploring his character in the later years of the show. And also that means that our good friend Jake Barnes will be yeah. returning once again as he has been coming on to talk about all of the TNGQ episodes. Always love having Jake on. All right, looking forward to Jake and Q next time. Um, thank you again, Jenny. Boop. <laughs> uh, thank you again, Aaron. Ribbit. Ribbit. <laughs> oh my God, there, there goes the trench. There goes the trench coat. <laughs> Um, and we will see you all next time. Um, hopefully not being plugged in back into the board collective after regaining your individuality. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com or you can visit our discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.